Ever wanted a career in football? From TV deals to player transfers, football is now a global, multi-billion dollar industry in need of qualified professionals who know the sport inside and out. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, the Masters of Football Business is delivered by experts from Australia and around the world. Learn online with unique access to networking and guest speaker events at the iconic MCG. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at gis.sport slash fnr. gis.sport slash fnr. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Unbelievable Welcome along to another edition of the Oz Football Hour here on FNR Football Nation Radio. I'm Josh Parrish, delighted to be joined by my new co-host, published author, Australian football aficionado. You may have heard him on If You Know Your History, he's a guest co-host. He's now joining me in the Oz Football Hour, Jason Goldsmith. Welcome to FNR. Thank you very much uh, for the introduction, Josh. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, discussing all things Oz football over the coming weeks and months. I think we've been uh, missing someone of your stature since Ed Gooden departed uh, the station. So, uh, yeah, another challenge for uh, for our producers behind the scenes. I might need a box to stand on for the rest of the season. But, right, uh, I can crouch down a bit lower. We'll see how we go. <laughs> Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, first, uh, your football journey and uh, some of your works that people can can read via Fair Play Publishing. Yeah, no problem. Look, um, uh, not a player at all, but very much an Australian football fan. First fell in love uh, with the game when the uh, Oli Roos made the Barcelona Olympics many years ago with Ned Zelic's uh, famous goal. And from there, followed the Socceroos into the, the new change into, you know, moving from the NSL to the to the A-League. Um, had an idea for a book, uh, so put out in 2018, Surfing for England, our lost Socceroos, which focused on uh, the best Australian football players that never made it to the national team. Uh, and from there, uh, last year, put out a book called Be My Guest with uh, with Lucas Gillard, which was focusing on the, the greatest footballers that had little club cameos in Australia. And there's some amazing names that have actually played club football out here. So, um, yeah, a couple of books. I've got one in the pipeline for in line with the Women's World Cup next year as well. Well, it's serendipitous timing, your uh, entry here, because not only do we have an international tug of war over a promising Australian Italian youngster. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got a star player set to finally return to A League football tomorrow night in Daniel Sturridge. We do, we do. So I, I spoke about that actually. Lucas and I included Daniel Sturridge in a, the very final um, paragraph of our book under rumours that he was rumoured in 2018 to be coming to the A League, this, you know, this uh, Champions League winner and the rest of it. And uh, we printed the book and then Perth Glory announced him. So he's had nine minutes. <laughs> So let's hopefully tomorrow night uh, when they take on Brisbane that uh, the nine minutes uh, increases somewhat and his, uh, his club football outfit's a little bit bigger. Well, he's had plenty of time off to recuperate, uh, some of which may be less ideal in, in hotel quarantine. But, uh, yeah, hopefully he's fit and raring to go. Perth with a, a big test in front of them, two games in the space of a few days after not playing in months. And, and I saw on the, on the news today, so he's been, um, he's been on the East Coast whilst the, all mm. the Perth players went back for Christmas. So... Mm. Uh, I haven't followed his Instagram lately since he found his barber, so I'm not sure what he's been doing uh, over east, but he's ready to go. And uh, I'm not sure how 
Redcliffe is going to um, be amongst the great stadiums that he's played played in front of before. But uh, Redcliffe tomorrow night for Daniel Sturridge hopefully gets a few more minutes. Maybe he was trying to avoid another long plane journey uh, Possibly to that, Perth and that back. Four hours. He might have to stay on the East Coast. They've got Sydney on Saturday night after Brisbane tomorrow night. Well, we know a lot of players, um, or a lot of people, sorry, are working from home and working remotely. Maybe Daniel Sturridge can can work remotely for Perth Glory, just away games in the East Coast. Maybe, maybe. It's kind of like um, Kyrie Irving in the NBA with the the anti-vax status, I guess. Um, But how's he going to have any touch with his teammates or any sort of team? Like, it's it's a very interesting situation. I'm I'm thinking they have to slowly build Mm -hmm. him if he's going to be any success slowly build up his minutes until he gets a bit of understanding of what his teammates can do, I guess. Well, if there's one team you want to sink your teeth into this season, it's actually Brisbane Raw, who look completely out of form and fitness. Uh, They were crawling to the finish line against Sydney FC. We'll get into that game in a little bit. I want to start in Adelaide. Adelaide United 2, Melbourne City 2. Matt Leckie took some of that that criticism he was getting a little personally, I think, really revved up for this one and... Uh, they didn't get the result again. They they crumbled late. It was almost a repeat of the first meeting of these two teams at Highmarsh Stadium. But Leckie, at least, I think, cemented his place in the Socceroos squad. I think so too. And, I, I mean, he doesn't touch the football that much, but his, his pass to Naboot that scored their first goal mm. for Melbourne City was absolute class. And, and I think that's what he needs to get the ball a little bit more to be able to, you know, I guess, manage expectations. I'm not sure what everyone expected him to do in the A-League. Um, he is that guy that, um, you know, will get that pass, will we'll jump up and sort of head a goal here and there, and, and he's got to rely on his pace and stuff like that. So I guess the soccer is needing him for the next 12 months or so. So it was good to see him get some form back and and, uh, and provide that assist. Also, I think encouraging for Melbourne City to see he and Naboot combining for a goal given how incompatible they've seen this season. Two players with quite similar skill sets that I think – Sometimes you want a little bit more variety in the front line than those two bring. I, I think so too. And, we, and with J-Mac there as well, having those um, front sort of soccerers, front three, I think the expectations were that City were just going to just bang them in from the start. Um, J-Mac doesn't touch the ball that often when he plays. He's just mm. in the right spots all the time. So um, having Leckie and Naboot there, um, getting some chemistry together will be good for the national team. Be also good for Melbourne City, I guess. Um I think Naboo copped a little bit of slack from the Adelaide fans, though, when he did manage to, to score that goal. He did cup his ear to the crowd, and then I did notice him, but they didn't show on the replay, that he did lift his shirt. So I'm not sure what sort of jives the, the Adelaide fans were giving him. It might have been something to do with his size. Yeah, he's uh, he's a big boy, mm. but honestly, he's just a slab of concrete muscle. Absolutely. I actually voiced the opinion, I think it was last year, that Naboo had lift, lifted too many weights and actually made himself a little bit uh, immobile and not agile enough in tight spaces because he just put on too much muscle. Yeah, that's uh, probably fair too, I guess. And he had those soft tissue injuries, which sometimes um, correlates with, mm. with people you know, changing their, their fitness approach. But again, we need him fit and firing, not so much to be a, a starter for the Socceroos, but to be knocking on the door anyway. It's going to be that's healthy for the national team when he's in a bit of form. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this game, Melbourne City going down to 10 men after Nuno Reyes shirt pull resulted in a second yellow card and a penalty, which was saved by Tom was, Glover. Yep. Uh, an excellent save, but uh, he didn't cover himself in glory for maybe either of the goals that Melbourne City conceded. Uh, Glover, you mean? Yes. Although saving that penalty, though, I think Goodwin's stutter approach never looked like actually he was going to score. 
I don't know one. why Goodwin's doing a stutter. No, he's, he's, he's got one of the cleanest left foots in Australian football. Left feet, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and he he should just blast it into the top corner. The guy, that's what the guy's good at. It's what he's great at. And he's another one that should be knocking on the door for the national team when, when he's sort of pushing mm. pushing the envelope. It helps. But, yeah, that stuttered approach and that pause wasn't that flash. And then, and then Glover had that save too. Um, he did have a very decent save at the end, but then the, uh, the new Japanese strike for Adelaide, whose name escapes me, uh, that is Hiroshi Ibasuki, I say, looking at my notes. <laughs> That's all right. Well, his first few minutes in the A-League were a success and able to, to tap it tap it in and, and get the draw um, for that. Well, secure the draw for Adelaide. So, mm. yeah, I thought Melbourne outplayed Melbourne City outplayed them for most of the game. But, you know, they're probably happy with the point. Especially considering the players that they've got out, the players that have left them, Ben Halloran going to Korea, yep. uh, Stefan Mork just awaiting sort of transfer clearance and the completion of his move to Japan. So... Adelaide are having to rely on youngsters yep. and primarily Bernardo via the, I guess we don't really have a formal father-son rule in the uh, in the A-League, but he's come in, uh, son of Cassio, and has really shouldered a lot of the creative burden in that team all of a sudden as a 17-year-old. 17, and has a little bit about him as well. I think um, Scott Jamison was trying to push his buttons a little bit and he wasn't <laughs> wasn't really taking a backward step, which was great to, to watch. And maybe maybe with this becomes our um, you know our Ben Simmons moment in the in the A League if we start getting the imported players their sons become Australian and, and come through you know Ninkovic who want you know that kind of thing and, and that might happen for us in the future. Yeah, hopefully uh, if he does end up being good enough, he does choose to actually represent the national team rather than spending his international breaks working on his shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. I don't know, but do Brazil have many players to choose from from their national team? So, yeah, they've got a few, few yeah, strong, okay, so, uh, strong contenders, so I would say. Let's, let's let him establish in the A-League first and we can see where we can go from there. Melbourne City were expected to, if not walk the league, be right up there. They've had a bit of an up-and-down season. Marco Tilio seems to impress every time he gets a chance. He was injured for this game, mm-hmm. didn't, wasn't in the squad, and I think they missed him. Where, where do you think it's going wrong for, for Melbourne City? Because they've got so much squad depth. You know, they've got players coming off their bench for five minutes that would and were starting for teams like Adelaide, and yet they can't seem to beat them. Taras Kamulka started for Adelaide for quite an extended yeah. period, and now is at City, barely plays. So they've got... All this money, these this vast resources compared to a team like Adelaide who are cutting costs everywhere and trying to pick up transfer fees and so forth. So what's the deal? It's hard to put a finger on because there's no real flow at the moment with all mm. these um, uh, games being postponed and paused with the COVID. Yeah. And we really don't know how much that's affecting these guys in terms of their fitness. But missing someone that's key, like, say, Curtis Good, has really made a bit of a difference. They have sure. had to juggle and put um, Roston Griffiths in the back. He's sort of their Mr. Fix-It that will always come in and play a, play a role for City and does it quite well, always does his job. But I think they've really missed Curtis Good and I think uh, the, a bit of criticism for Matthew Leckie early, but that's probably because there's no rhythm in terms of them actually playing together and, and knowing how that actually works. So um, he started with an assist there for Naboo, as we talked about. Um, so hopefully the three, the front three then will, will make a difference and it'll start to click pretty soon, I reckon. Yeah, I, I do wonder, I mean... Lecky is not a creative player. He's never been much of a creator. Yes, he's uh, an executor in the final third when he gets it, but you need somebody further back in the team mm-hmm. to start things. And uh, Florent Berenguer has, to me, been excellent, mm-hmm. but he only seems to last about 60 minutes and then he either gets substituted or his influence on the game wanes. And they don't seem to have another Berenguer off the bench. No. 
And I think in, in – well, they won it last year, but the seasons before it was Brillante and it was um, Luke Bratton that was sort of bringing that provider in the middle that made a difference. So I think um, they miss Adrian Luna as well. Luna's an under, underrated contributor. Yeah, and Aiden O'Neill, I'm not sure, has found his straps, you know, coming no. back as well. I mean, decent pedigree having, you know, played in the Premier League, albeit not many games. But O'Neill, you would want to step up a little bit more given what he has done for them too. But, again, it's early in the season. I think given their depth and who they've got, coming off the bench and all the rest of it, that they'll they'll improve, no problem. I mean, it's sort of just sheer law of averages. If you've got that many good players, they have to click at some point. You would think perhaps. so. Otherwise, you know, questions you know, will be asked of Gisnobo. It's crazy to say that coming off a title season. But, you know, this is a club with pretty high expectations. They, they've finally qualified for the Champions yep. League. Maybe that will be, um, you know, the determina- determination of success or failure for CFG. Maybe. I mean, the springboard, I guess, with the FIFA windows too coming up makes a difference. I mean, they won they won their title on the back of guys not being able to play for them. Yeah. So Tilio and Kolakovsky coming in. And Atkinson, who's now departed. Yeah, and, but... and Atkinson gone as well. So it makes a difference. So, I mean, losing losing those players and still being able to cover for it. So we'll see how that works out in the, in the coming weeks, I guess, as the World Cup qualification goes through. Well, AFC Champions League draw has been made. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about this with Vince Rigari, but uh, BG Patham United, United City of the Philippines. I think they just threw a dart at the wall naming that club. We need a football <laughs> name. We'll think that'll do. Throws yeah. dart, spins wheel, yeah. draws name out of hat. Uh, Jonam Dragons is probably the more well-known team uh, from South Korea. Given that they were in pot four, so the lowest ranked team ostensibly in the draw, I think this is... a a really soft draw for Melbourne City. They should be progressing from this group based on the pedigree of the team. They're a decent chance for second spot anyway. We need to fall in love with this competition again, I guess. You know, you ask any Wanderers fan and that sort of run to them winning it is amazing. You ask any Adelaide, there's a documentary on Adelaide becoming runners-up in this competition. We need to fall in love with this competition and hopefully missing a, a Japanese side in that draw and... um. Yeah, if they get some success, it might make a difference. We need to, we need, we need for this to be good. We're in the Asian Confederation for a reason, and we need to fall in love and have a really good run at this comp. So, fingers crossed that they can do it. We've got two other spots, which are probably going to be likely to be Sydney and, and potentially the Mariners. So, uh, we'll see how that one that one pans out in the coming weeks. Just to put this in perspective, here are some of the teams that City could have drawn and didn't. I mean, Kawasaki Frontale is just, you know the absolute dominant team in Asia at the moment, mm-hmm. a team that Celtic have recently gutted with their uh, their transfers, but, you know, uh, an incredible uh, team in Japan that have put together an amazing run of form in the J-League. Uh, John Book Motors from Korea, who one of the most well-financed and deep teams in Korea. I mean, Shanghai SIPG, we all know about their big spending, maybe less so in recent times due to, you know, economic situation in uh uh, in China, uh, Urawa Red Diamonds, they could have drawn. They could have drawn Guangzhou Evergrande, Yokohama F Marinos. You know, there's a lot of big teams that they managed to avoid. Uh, whereas for the teams coming through the playoffs, I mean, that final do or die away playoff game yep. is looking a little tough. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to... Um, we just need it. We need one of the Aussie clubs to have a really good crack at it for us to, to get back into it. I think it's been a long time since the Wanderers won it um, that we need to, yeah, really sort of cement ourselves what why we're in this confederation, what it can what it can give us. Yeah, exactly. So they will need to get past um, the winners of the FFA Cup. This is and Sydney FC. 
it's a bit complicated because if Sydney FC win the FA Cup, they're going to a different spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll need to get past either um, Kaya FC um, of the f- uh, the Philippines, is it? Uh, yes, and Sh- or Shan United of Myanmar. But then the second round is when things get slightly more dicey. Either Changchung Yatai of the Chinese Super League or Vissel Kobe, most famously the team of Andres Iniesta in Japan. So that that away playoff game is usually where, in the second round, usually where it falls apart for the Australian teams trying to make it through these uh, these sudden death matches. That's it. And we hope that our um, our boys have the numbers ready for their, the back of their jerseys too as it comes through <laughs> at these playoff rounds. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk Sydney uh, before we go to a break. They had a former Socceroo, uh, return from a long hiatus in club football. Mustafa Armini last played in the A-League, was it 2013? Yeah, eight years. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been eight years since he last played a game on Australian shores. A very successful time in Denmark for him. Of course, he was initially signed by Borussia Dortmund, mm-hmm. absolutely gigantic club in Germany. Uh, he managed to qualify for, I believe, the Europa League in Denmark, which was a big milestone for that club. There were people chanting his name in the city square. He was crowd surfing. It was it was nuts. And then he got a big move to, to Turkey, and it just didn't work out. One of these situations where the club changes its mind, tears up your contract, total breach of all you mm-hmm. know, union and FIFA rules, and, and left him completely stranded overseas uh, in a pandemic. So he's had a nasty time of it. It was nice to see him get back out on the pitch. It is good to see him back in that respect, given what he's gone through. I'm not sure if Sydney's the right club for him to get enough minutes to, to resurrect that career. You don't think so? Well, there's a lot of depth there with a lot of, uh, a lot of pace. You saw the guys that they brought on against mm. Brisbane. Um, so there's a lot of good young players sort of coming through Sydney FC. He's, he, he's still fairly young in football terms. He's, you know, eight years out of the, the A-League. Great to see him back. Hopefully he can make a fist of it and add to those eight Socceroos caps. I mean, again, if we get guys that like this get in a bit of form and push for their foot, push for a spot in the national team, it'll make a bit of a difference. Yeah, he, he looked a little bit out of uh, match fitness, mm. but he still did a couple of things on the field that I thought showed his class. There was a little run, um, purposeful run through the centre of midfield. I think maybe not so much in those two attacking midfield spots that Sydney yep. play, but actually in the deeper spots because since he sort of left Australia, he converted to more of a number six type. Yep. And that's where we saw him play in limited minutes for the Socceroos. So given that Luke Bratton is out for the season with an yep. ACL injury, he could potentially be the player that comes in to replace Bratton because I think they've lost, his, they've been missing his influence this season. They do. I mean, it's, it's again, it's hard to get a real gauge on this season with all the stop start yep. nature of it, you know, um, and I think Warren Moon mentioned it as well, that they're trying to COVID manage. Brisbane are trying to COVID manage who's going to run out of puff and, and who's going to be able to see out the 90 minutes. Um, and Corica did that with Sydney FC, making the three subs at, at one stage, I think after 60 minutes or mm-hmm. something. Three subs in a, in a row to try and do that and try and manage it through. So um, we'll see how that works. I, well, I did think Sydney FC should have won that match. They had, they had plenty more um, shots at goal. They, they were very unlucky with, with a bit of it. And, and the form of Elvis Camsober is one that's um, that's really, for people that are based in Melbourne or any Victory fans, is quite surprising. But he has been a revelation, especially in the FFA Cup. But um, again, um, provider on, on Saturday for their only goal. Elvis is a player who I think divided opinion for a long time and then eventually united opinion amongst Victory fans and not in a good way. <laughs> uh, he's continual... Uh, failures in the final third to find the right pass or finish off a golden opportunity were a source of great frustration, even if he did a 
frequently uh, occupy the right positions um, and maybe do good work either defensively or in the lead up to chances. It was just the the frustration in being unable to realise all of that good play. But to be honest, I'm not especially surprised that he's playing better in a team where he's given, I guess, a few more specific instructions on what to do uh, because he was absolutely devastating for Avondale at MPL level. And honestly, I think a lot of it was a psychological issue that built up over time with the fans getting on his back and yep. just became a bit of a mental stumbling block. The victory were a rabble last year, we've got to remember as well. Yeah. So They've for been rabble for a, two or three they years. Have. But we want... We need and want, especially with National Second Division coming up, we need stu- We need stories like Elvis Cam Sober to be a success. Coming out of the um, the NPL with the FFA Cup, he won the, did he won the medal for the best yes. FFA best um, non A League player in the FFA is Cup that Mike year. Mike Cockrell medal, it I is think the Mike, Yes, that's right. He won the Cockrell medal, the inaugural one too. I think it was yes. the first one. Um, so we need success stories like that. So it's, I think it's great that he's actually um, putting it together. And, and Sydney FC fans are, are more than pleasantly surprised with how he's, he's working. Um, and I guess tonight, the FFA Cup semi-final, he'll, he'll have another run and see how that goes. Do you think Victory fans' expectations of him were unfair, given that he ended up playing many, many more minutes than in maybe past Victory teams? Say he, you know, he, he comes through earlier, he's born earlier, he comes through and you know, 2015 or something where Victory's mm-hmm. got this really strong team and he's just playing bit part, you know, 10, 15 minute appearances off the bench. I think he would have been a lot better received in that that, that kind of role. He's probably learning from more experienced yeah, players exactly. as well. I mean, it would make a massive difference, I'm sure. And I think it doesn't help. There wasn't his first, his, his backflip for his first goal was disallowed as well. So yeah. I guess that that's, um, that would weigh heavily on you as well. I mean, the grief you would cop from that, from your, everyone, teammates, supporters, etc. So... Yeah. We need him to be a success. We really do. We want uh, we want to promote the the NPL. We want to promote club football in this country coming through. So I think it's great. So good luck to him. Hopefully, it continues for Sydney FC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's got confidence now, and that's a powerful thing for a player. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, again, he's, most of that form has been in the FFA Cup rather than the A League. But if you can translate it across once the that comp's finished, the cups you've only got a couple of games to go if they can get over tonight. So we'll see how that works out. I think. People expected him as a sort of flashy winger who does backflips mm. to be a player who gets the ball in one-on-one situations and just takes on defenders. But he's yep. not really that player. No. He's more of someone who combines with others at speed. And that's what we saw for the goal. Yeah, oh, that goal was amazing. When he beat those three defenders on the wing and then got it out to Caceres to... Oh, well, yeah, and then the pass was just laid on yeah. the platter for Caceres. Like, that's what you want. He's not going to be... Not going to take everyone. He's just got to get in the right positions. That's all he is. He's got to get to the mm. right space. He's got the pace and he'll have it. And the skill hopefully comes yeah, up together for him. But it was, yeah, good to see. Absolutely. Well, we'll take a short break here on the Oz Football Hour, but not before letting you know about the Global Institute of Sport. They've got a master's course in uh, football business kicking off next month. Your home base will be the MCG. Uh, when you're not learning online, they've got touch points scheduled throughout the year with guest speakers and networking events. It's a whole new type of footballing education that's never been available in this country before. They've gone great guns in England and America, setting up campuses at the likes of Wembley Stadium, Etihad Stadium, Miami, at, uh, Atlanta. So it's uh, a world that if you want to be part of the world of football business, it's probably the place to go to get your education. FNR is the link uh, for finding out more about the Global Institute of Sport kicking off 
in February 2022, the Masters of Football Business. Head over, head on over to gis.sport slash FNR to find out more. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Unbelievable kick. <laughs> the Oz Football Hour coming to you on a Tuesday night. Josh Parrish and Jason Goldsmith. We're supported this week by GIS, the Global Institute of Sport, one of a kind footballing education delivered online and your home base. If you're studying in Melbourne, will be the MCG. It's a unique opportunity, gis.sport slash FNR to find out more. Talking of uh, internationals, um, and I guess the dilemma facing Australian football uh, and Australia as a multicultural melting pot as we are, uh, is often uh, about national allegiances and whether some of our quote-unquote homegrown talents uh, will end up representing the countries of their parents' birth. This is something that you've covered in depth Jason, with mm-hmm. your book Surfing for England, which, of course, comes from the famous Craig Johnston quote, uh, playing football for Australia is like surfing for England. That's and right, in 60 Minutes, he said that to uh, George Negus, correct? So he, he never played for the Socceroos. He's since expressed regret about that decision, the uh, former Liverpool star. Those were the days where jetting off on international duty to go play for Australia, especially against, you know, Oceania minnows, was mm-hmm. generally... Uh, looked down upon and less accepted than it is today with the mandated stuff. But we've still got many of the same uh, dilemmas involved. Some of these get overblown, I suppose. Uh, The uh, predatory foreign footballing associations trying to steal our our youngsters and snap them up as their own. It has happened a few times. Uh, What has been your experience, you know, writing this book and covering a lot of these situations in depth? What what do you think is the source of this? Is it our own insecurity as a as a football nation that we're not producing enough? Is it to do with, I, I suppose, the uh, lack of luster and prestige that the Socceroos hold? Not so much anymore. I think, I think we're scarred from uh, the Croatians. So I, I think what with Joe Simonich playing over 100 games for Croatia. He was born mm. and bred in Canberra. Um, he came went, through the AIS. Came through the tax Australian tax-funded AIS, right? So himself and Anthony Seric, or Ante Seric, who played for Croatia, and then um, Joey Didalitsa as well was in the squad. So I think there's still that like, – that's the one that stings the most because Craig Johnston and, and Tony DiRigo basically didn't play for Australia because there weren't windows for them to do so. But if you're coming into the 90s, that you have the opportunity to play for Croatia, you're going to take that over Australia as a football point of view because you've got the Euros, you've got a bit more, um, bit more opportunity to, to do something. So at the moment, we can't really point the finger because we had three members of the current soccer squad that never even sat, set foot in Australia before they even played. So if you talk about Marty Boyle and um, mm. Sutar and, and Fran Karacic, um, We've, we've gone back and, and recruited those guys based on heritage and some of those, that heritage is quite, um, yeah, in terms of heritage is quite small. You know, he was his father's Australian born, but he's all Croatian all the way through. Yeah. So I, I guess the, the Fuhrer at the moment, and we talk about 
some players that show a little bit that we think that they want to play for Australia. But Australia, they actually can probably have more of a chance to play in a World Cup if they come to us now than they would for some of these other stronger football nations. But I think there's just a hysteria that we don't actually – we're not producing quality socceroos like we used to. And if anyone's got a, a sniff of a connection to a big European club, then we, we want them straight away. So you're talking about, you know, Alex Robinson. You're talking about um, Christian uh, Volpato and even to a lesser extent Liam Chipperfield over in, in Switzerland mm. as well, um, Scott's son. So these are the ones that everyone's like, oh, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to cap them. But they haven't really done so much to – to earn those caps so we'll see it is in some ways a bit of a zero-sum game with you know national associations trying to find you know the shred of australian or whatever country they're representing shred of national heritage that they can go and recruit somebody obviously graham arnold's done his fair share of ancestry.com deep diving <laughs> yep. as you mentioned what well, what do you think australia has to do better to attract these players or is it simply just a a figment of, of the media's creation that, you know, a, a player like Volpato or like Robertson who ha- haven't even really played that many senior games are treated with such reverence just because they're they're playing at well-known clubs in the, in the youth academies. Yeah, well, Robert, Robertson's a different story because his father and his grandfather were soccerers, right? Yes. So that we, we want to claim that's the kind of person you want to play for us, but he is eligible to represent three or four different countries and he's on Man City's books and he was on Man United's books. So... In terms of having someone of with an Australian heritage or background that's on the, a big club like Man City's books that gets everyone excited and, and get the juices flowing, but he hasn't done that in se- anything in senior football that would warrant um, getting him into soccer is that I that I can see yet. He's no. only a kid. Christian Volpato is another story because it, obviously Italian heritage, um, Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers youth setup didn't quite work. He went to Italy, but apparently grew six inches when he was over at and he was on Roma's mm. books, and now he's on the bench for Mourinho. Again, he's he's hardly played though, but he's just because he's on the books at Roma and he's eighteen or nineteen years old. They, they, we're all getting excited, saying we're going to lose him to Italy. We're going to lose him to Italy. I'm not sure an eighteen-year-old that's played one game for Roma is on Italy's radar. Um, not in the senior team anyway. I think I think because he was invited to come to one of the, the junior squads and Roman wouldn't let him go, that's when the, the uproars happened. This mm. might be a little bit of a beat-up. Yeah, the, the alarm bells started ringing. But, I mean, what what is the answer here? Is there something that FFA or Football Australia, as they call themselves now, is not doing to attract these players to get them into the national fold and the youth teams as opposed to uh, other federations who uh, do their business more efficiently and effectively? Well, it's a good question. It's probably our, our youth setup, to be mm. honest. We don't have an AIS or anything like that identifying this talent for us no. um, early enough to, to warrant that. There's no real junior setups within the A-League teams that would warrant, you know, that kind of, I guess, talent identification early enough. So we're finding out about these guys a little bit later and then um, then we're just getting extra links now, you know, following through like the Boyles and the Sutars and the, and the Karachiches that I've got Australian links that we can try and approach them. That's just for us, I think, is just a stopgap. Mm. Just, it's just band, a Band-Aid over our youth development at the moment. If we change that setup, then it's a different story. Then we would know Volpato is actually good and that he's going to grow mm. six inches when, he, when he's 17 or 18 and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it probably starts from the top. 
Predicting young players and how they're going to turn out as senior footballers, I think people think it's a lot more straightforward than it really is. Mm. Players can go on, come on leaps and bounds in a very short space of time when they're still developing physically, as you say. Well, I think uh, I heard you um, earlier this week um, and your colleagues talking about Daniel Arzani. Had mm. the same thing with Daniel because he was born in Iran. They were going to cap him. Um, yep. we, we needed to cap him. Um, as it turned out, he was that pinch hitter off the bench in the 2018 World Cup that we needed because he provided that spark. But he hasn't done really anything at club level since um, since doing that. So that was, an, again, another 18-year-old that's a starlet that's going to have that opportunity. And then, uh, and then what's going to happen for the rest of his senior career, it's hard to say. I think the thing that makes this Volpato situation such an irresistible storyline and – uh, he becomes such a lightning rod is because he was turned away from yeah. A-League youth systems, yeah. A-League youth academies. And in some people's minds, that says something fundamental about what's wrong with Australian football youth development that we couldn't see that this guy was going to be a star, even if we don't actually know he's going to be a Correct. star. Correct. I mean, and then it's like, oh, the guy's got a chip on his shoulder because, you know, Australia snubbed him, but, you know, Italy embraced him. I mean, that's just the narrative that they've given mm. to us. Whether or not that's true, who knows? We don't know what he's going to be like as a player. But it, it makes it makes sense. Like you know, he didn't quite make it in Australia, and we messed up. And he's gone to Italy, and he's mm. on on Roma's books. Like it's a it's a pretty decent story if he does turn around and make it. But again, I mean, it's up to it's up to him. You can't make them or force them to play, and you definitely shouldn't. I'm in two minds with this. You know, if you give them like if we don't qualify for the World Cup, and we've still got qualify. Well, if we get you know um, mathematically mathematically limited. impossible, but we still have qualifiers, then you'd probably suggest you could throw one in but you shouldn't give them give them away any caps and whilst we're still in the mix i think the context of where the national team is at is very important here mm. because these are crunch games they have to be won otherwise yep. we're going to miss out correct so bringing in young players just for the sake of capping them is to me nonsense in this situation the other thing that annoys me about the way this has been covered is that the rules are rarely mentioned mm. And players under a certain age now can play several games for an yep. international team in a competitive game. They've they've changed the rules many, many times, so I, I understand that that's hard to follow. But just giving them one token friendly appearance does nothing to tie their allegiance to the nation going forward. So the purpose of that would be purely psychological to say, yes, we want you to play for Australia. Yeah, and it's the, you know embrace them, invite them into the fold, you know, train with us. This is what we're going. This is what's going to be your future when you play with us. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, at the moment, I think the Socceroos have got other things that they need to focus on at the moment, and that's definitely trying to qualify for Qatar because it's not going to be easy in the coming matches for them. It's, it's, it is an interesting one. I hope Volpato makes it because we don't have many players at big European clubs. I hope Robertson makes it, you know, mm. and if we do lose them, we'll still have that link to them, you know, but I can't see them going playing for other national teams at the moment. So we've still got four or five years for them to develop, probably longer. The other uh, international uh, eligibility story that's that's done the rounds was a tweet from uh, Adelaide-based Val Miljaccio, obviously been around the, the traps for a number of years as a journo in South Australia. Huge story in the making, he tweets. A nightmare for FFA, or FA as they're now called. Five African federations have targeted 15 footballers with African heritage from Australia, some playing overseas, A-League and youngsters from MPL for international football, a dream for players where talent scouts are plenty. So what do you think about this? Uh, you know, it's not very specific, mm. <laughs> that tweet, uh, not a lot of detail in there, uh, but we have seen a few of these stories crop up around the 
wave of young African Australian players who've been coming into the A League and a lot of almost micro nations, tiny little African countries, to, to really are uh, committing a lot of attention and resource to trying to recruit them. I remember the coach of Liberia was very vocal. He was an English guy and he was very quotable. So I think he they got a few uh, quotes out of him with the uh, the Toure brothers trying to convert them and, and bring them over. Do you think it is a, a threat to the, the talent that we're now producing from this new wave of immigration that African countries will, will seek to steal them from under our noses? I think it's it's similar to the the Croatian situation in the late 90s that we had, but only because, I guess, I mean, Joey Lynch wrote a big piece about South Sudan as well, had about seven or eight Australian-based players in the last mm. um, qualifiers, but South Sudan's not a big football nation. And so, mm. and Cam Sober played for Burundi, also not a big football nation, you know. So if they wanted to play for a larger country, with us being in Asia and, and, and a little bit of uh, extra luster, I guess, that, that we won't lose out on the big ones, I wouldn't have thought. Um, and, you know, we're talking about gifting caps to kids. I mean, that's if that's the case, then, you know, that's, that's what can happen. Look at Tim Kale, you know, just <laughs> he got that early cap for Samoa and then went, uh-oh, that's actually yep. ruined me. So um, it depends. Uh, really, really not sure. It's not new. I mean, like it's not new because South Sudan have been doing it for the last sort of four or five years. So we'll see how that progresses. Yeah, I... I don't put too much stock in this because the players that are defecting, so to speak, never really had too much of a, a shot yep. at the Socceroos in the first place. Yeah, agreed. Kenny Athew, yep. Elvis Camsober. I don't think anyone's especially disappointed and like more happy for them that they get to go live their dream and go play international football. It's a good story for yeah, me. Yeah, it is a great story, I think. And then it enhances our local league. It enhances the NPL and, and the rest of it. We have all these guys that are actually playing in, in big international tournaments. Um good on them you know you get, you get a cap you rep, we had it before I, I mentioned it in my book too we had like Manny Musket playing for Malta and um, even John Hutchinson playing for mm. Malta uh, Andrew Durante and Shane Smeltz for New Zealand you know they're sort of you know mm. Australian guys that are playing for other countries because they get a chance to you know play on the world stage and, and get to really put something on their football resume you know where I think it comes from and maybe this is uh trying to psychoanalyze, you know, Australia a little bit. But I think it comes from a little bit of a fear uh, from the waves of immigration that these communities are not fully integrated into Australia and they're not really on our side. They're not really Australian. I, I think it comes from a slightly xenophobic place, especially you look at the Croatian example. I mean, that community has obviously uh, felt a little bit... Uh, slighted by, you know, mainstream Australia, I suppose. And maybe that made players like Simonic a little bit more ready to jump on board that Croatia team because they grew up with that kind of chip on their shoulder. I don't think that's necessarily the case with the African-Australian community at all. Well, no, well, there's, there's no there's no large NPL African-based clubs like there are for the Croatians yeah, as that's well. True. So there's not, there's not sort of that... that um, they're not going out to represent South Sudan on a, on a Saturday afternoon in Melbourne like you were if you were playing for Melbourne, Croatia, yeah. or the Hellers and that kind of thing. So, there are some clubs, yeah, yeah. but they're in like state three Correct. and so four there's, here. There's so there's not not so much of that because in their wisdom they tried to stamp that out. And now they're, now, <laughs> yeah, they're, now mean, they're that, bringing it all back. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm not too sure. It's, it's an interesting one. I mean, we've got the stage where we've got like, you know, Thomas Deng playing for us and his brother played for South Sudan. So, you know, and then we've got, you know, 
Harry Soutel playing for us and his brother playing for Scotland. So, you know, it's all a bit different now. You can pick and choose, I guess, or, or who looks after you and who wants you the most. It's a much more globalised world these days. And Global I think gonna, village, for sure. You know, we saw it at a World Cup, Kevin Prince Boateng versus Jerome Boateng, brother, different yeah. countries. Yeah. So it's going to happen. I think yep. we need to get used to it and, uh, you know, stop fretting over, you know, the, the what ifs and the lost potential. Correct, correct. All right, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be joined by Vince Rigari from the Sydney Morning Herald, one of Australia's premier football journalists, to talk all things Australian football. We might get stuck into some Champions League. We might touch on this issue. You better stick around, though, because Vince, always good value. Victory looking to build. Barbaroussis is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbaroussis! Wow! And we're back here on the Oz Football Hour on FNR Football Nation Radio. Brought to you today by GIS, the Global Institute of Sport. Go check out their master's degree in football business that's kicking off next month. GIS.sport slash FNR. They are still accepting applications for a one-of-a-kind educational experience with your home base being at the MCG. GIS.sport slash FNR is the place to go. Josh Parrish and Jason Goldsmith with you. In our final segment today, we want to bring on one of Australia's premier football journalists, Vince Rigari. Welcome back to FNR. Evening, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing well, mates. Uh, how are you? Because the A-League has been a vexatious league to cover <laughs> recently with all of the COVID cancellations and, uh, and fixture changes. Have you been uh, enjoying a bit of time off from the, the match beat? Uh, yeah, sort of. It's been. I felt lost, to be honest. It's very weird and unsettling to not know when things are on and all that sort of stuff. I was somewhat lucky. I had two weeks off over Christmas, so it was only the last sort of week and a bit that I've um, actually felt the full force of all these postponements. But like, I just, I just hate it. And what I hate more than it is just, I just want a list of all the football matches that are happening next in Australia. I just want a long list that keeps getting updated that is easy to follow. No one can provide me with this list. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> it only came out today, didn't it? This this uh, this week's A-League round came out, what, today or yesterday? So to find out how many games are coming up and who's playing who and the rest of it. It sounded like it yeah, was a bit I, of a... It felt like they've just put the whole thing on shuffle, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm sure there's there's rhyme and reason behind why they've done what they have. But just looking at it without my head in the game of the APL and what they're looking at, it just looks like literally just random... Random fixtures, shuffle, et cetera. We talked off air about Perth Glory having not played for a long, long time. They play tomorrow and then they've got to back it up and play on Saturday night as well. Yeah, I'm sure Daniel Sturridge will be completely fine throughout all that as well. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like the perfect way to, to bring him into the A-League, right? Yeah. But, but, um, how's he going to go at Redcliffe, you reckon? It's a, how's that going to rank in terms of stadiums for him that he's uh, over his career? Yeah, probably towards the lower end. Although to be fair to the uh, the Redcliffe Dolphins, it's not a bad little ground there. But I reckon for for Mr. Sturridge, it's going to feel like the, the the fifth round of the FA Cup or something like that. You know, like uh, and and I dare say it's going to be pretty empty on a Wednesday night too. So hopefully the Royal fans can get out there. It'll be great fun um, seeing him actually have a run around because watching him in that first Glory game where he did get on get on the park. You know, like people have their opinions about marquee signings and whatnot, and is that something the A League should do? But you can't argue with, you know, when a guy with the profile of Sturridge gets on the field and a city has a full week or two to get excited about it, sell tickets, 
I mean, there's nothing like it. We're probably not going to feel that same vibe tomorrow night for obvious reasons. Um, but I hope that Sturridge can get a bit of a, a run on here. And I think he's got some games coming up in Sydney in the next few weeks too, which um, I know there's a lot of Liverpool fans in Sydney who will come out of the woodwork to see him. That's good. How many minutes do you think you'll get tomorrow night? <laughs> this is like a, it's like a raffle show. <laughs> trying to pick that one. Like it's, it's like a, I feel like it, the the correct way to go would be single digits. Yep. I think any anything more than that is probably a little bit ambitious. What's the over under seven? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say something like that. Yeah. So it, it's hard given the sample size that we've had, the small sample size. We've seen the most of of Sydney, uh, Brisbane, and Wellington. Uh, City and Victory up the uh, the top end of the table as well. Uh, which team have you been surprised by pleasantly this season so far, Vince? Uh, look, uh, oh, Newcastle is almost a cliched answer mm. at this point. Everyone, even though it's felt like about three years since we've last seen them play, um, they were so good in the early parts of the season. So I've been really impressed by them, although surprised maybe not. Like I knew it was going to be a rocks or diamonds type season for them, but I had a feeling there was going to be something brewing there. So that is not so much surprising. Well, you know who has been surprising for me, and I feel like we haven't talked about them a whole lot, mostly because they've only played five games. Um, but the Mariners, like, um, I think they've been really good. I think, you know, we go into every season almost expecting the Mariners to finish bottom, and we expected them to bottom out again this season. Um, like, especially after Stage went and, and, and a few other key players who were in that team that did so well last season left as well. But um, I've been really impressed by them. I think... Uh, and from memory, and again, I'm going to the back reaches of my memory here because these games were so long ago. But I feel like in one of the one or two of the games they lost, that maybe they deserved more out of them. And I just feel like there's some really good, exciting young players who have got some serious futures in the game in that team. Like um, I'm super impressed with Jacob Farrell at left back. I think he's very, very close to being the league's best left back already. Um, I think he's got a massive future in front of him. The kid just looks unflappable. I think uh, Harry Steele in midfield looks great. Um, look, there's then and a couple of the imports that, that, that they've brought in. Um, Moresh has shown a couple of signs, has he? Maybe, or is that maybe my my memory failing me after so long? I, uh, I he hasn't convinced me yet, Vince. I think he had one good game where he scored, and uh, I don't know. He's he's flipped flitted in and out. I think Cy Goddard, you know, certainly in the sort of first halves of games, he seemed to run out of steam in the second half. But uh, he he looks a tidy player at least. Yeah, Urania's taken a step up. Um, mm-hmm. Nisbet is just uh, people, if Nisbet plays for one of the bigger clubs, I think we'd hear a lot more talk about him. I think he is an incredibly tidy footballer again with a massive future in front of him. I like seeing him in the hole, doing things where he can use his sort of small stature, small turning circle, um, good close control to his advantage. And um, Bozanic is just, you know, still one of the league's best midfielders. Like, I, I like what they're doing out there. I like that there's young kids who are being mm. brought into the team and, and acquitting themselves well, like Hall at centre-back. I think done pretty well, too, for a guy who's just been thrown in there uh, where Ron Tongic should be playing. Um, all in all, I think when you think about the Mariners, you think about what we expected after the departures from last season and just the general nature of that club, the owners, the stuff we heard last year about Mike Charlesworth wanting to sell the club and relocate them to bloody North Sydney, all the shenanigans that revolve around the Mariners. I don't think, I certainly didn't expect them to have been as good as they have this season. Now, granted, they've only played five games. So, you know, this could all change very soon. But I, I, I like what they're doing out there. Talking of Nisbet, I think we've seen the kind of upside for a player 
like him in Cammy Devlin, who's won, uh, won over hearts and minds, if you don't mind the pun, over in Scotland. Uh, you wrote about him recently and, and chatted to him as well. Do you think he's in the frame for the Socceroos coming into this international break? And, and who else do you think we could see break into the squad? Um, I'll be shocked and disappointed if he's not in the squad. Um, I don't think we have many midfielders who are, who are defensive midfielders who are playing that well that consistently. I know it's probably only a dozen or so games he's played for Hart, but I mean, you just sense that the kid's got levels in him. Ange saw it. Ange told him after the game that you've got levels in you. Um, after that Celtic game, where there was that great picture in the article that I wrote from uh, from the Hearts club photographer out there, it was a great little snapshot of um, of Australian football in Scotland. There, um, <laughs> I, I'd have him. I'd have him starting, to be honest. Um, uh, Jago's been okay. Irvine has been. I certainly prefer Irvine further up the field for the Socceroos or coming off mm. the bench in an impact role, um, bombing on if the box late and all that sort of stuff. I think Devlin, next to either you know Aaron Moy or um, Aiden Christie sound feels like a great midfield for me for um for the Socceroos for these coming games. I think we need to blood Devlin into the international arena soon. In terms of other players who will come into the squad from outside the sort of names that we've seen in the last couple of windows, it's it's slim pickings, I feel like. I mean, I feel like this is the group that we've got at the moment, and I'm not sure who will, who can come in and, and do a job. But one name I will throw out there that I don't think really has been in the conversations at all, Ben Halloran. Now, I know he's just left the A-League um, and I know he's not played a game yet for his new team, I don't think, but um, I've always liked him for Adelaide United. He's, he's he, you know, he, he, he does things out in the wing that... I mean, you look at the wingers that the Socceroos have used in recent times and Alan Mabil, I don't think he's been playing regular, regular football in Denmark. Mm. Chris Economides has been, I think, in and out of the setup, right? And, and, and also struggling to put together some regular minutes, at least for the Socceroos. And I just think Halloran for a while has been a pretty good player and earned a move to Japan off the back of his form deserves a look in maybe for the squad. I'm just trying to think of ways we can rejuvenate what felt at times like a pretty stale selection of players last year and a stale way of playing. Obviously things need to change up. And I think, you know, uh, Graham Arnold's probably spent, you know, the past couple of weeks trying to figure out what he can do in this, in this upcoming camp, change things up. But I think a couple of fresh faces, a couple of guys like, Devlin, Halloran, etc. We'll help do that for him. Has Ben Halloran been around in the squad much since the since Ange had him in 2014? I don't think has he been called into any camps. I don't think so. Off the top of my head, I, I, I don't think so, and I find that to be borderline criminal. Yeah, like I, not that the guy is a world beater, but like in terms of consistent wingers in the A League, uh, you'll struggle to find too many better ones. In the last couple of years, you know. That's it. And he's playing. That's the thing. He's playing minutes. So we don't have too many guys overseas that are playing the regular minutes that you'd want to put into the national team. For sure. The the other thing that's good for him as well, though, is that he's not going to... You'd hope he wouldn't need an adjustment period for international football. Yeah. Guys uh, played at a World Cup, right? Yeah, correct. We we forget that, you know. So that that was a long time ago. I mean, we're getting up to bloody eight years ago. But the guy has World Cup experience. So he's the kind of guy who I feel even if it hasn't been so long for him in the squad, like it's been ages since he was last picked, you could throw him in there now and he'd he'd sort of find his feet. I would like to think anyway. I think it's a good point, Vince, because, I mean, think about it. Who's had a better A-League season? Uh, Matt Leckie, Andrew Naboo or Ben Halloran? I think I'd pick Ben Halloran out of the the three of them. 
I would too. And look, Leckie needs to be in the squad for sure, just because he's, uh, he's we don't have many players of that caliber slash class. But I think one of the things that Graham Arnold said in that piece with um, Andrew Webster, one of my colleagues at the SMH, just before Christmas, after after Bozza gave him both barrels a couple of times on, <laughs> on Stan Sport FC. Yeah, with you. Yeah. Got the plug in there, which was good. Yeah. Um, uh, Arnie said, I want to see my players playing regular. But the most important thing is that our guys play regular football. Um, you know, over the Christmas break and early January and whatever. And so I would like to think that if you're saying that, you can't just then go and pick the same players who have been in your squad. You have to pick a couple of guys who have done exactly what you've said and, you know, perform consistently and regularly. Um, so the, the squad's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be coming out on Friday. That's what I was told. That's what they're aiming for. And it's going to be super interesting to see, yeah, who's made the cut for Arnie and, and, and the sort of group he wants mm. to take forward for these you know, crucial four games that are coming up for us. Now, Vince, I read your, your interview with Bruce Chitay about Riley McGree's move to um, Middlesbrough. Um, did he choose them over Celtic purely on money, do you think? What was the, what was the basis of that? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, and you just don't know unless you're Riley McGree and you've had the mm. conversation that he had. So we're all, we're all guessing to some degree. Yeah. Um, it, well, the guess it was about twice as much, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the factors is that uh, I think the transfer fee was a lot higher. So Middlesbrough, I think, would have would have accepted that. And if personal terms were acceptable, then it just, then it just goes ahead, right? Like, yeah. um, it's been a while since my last football manager saved, but I remember that seems to be the process. Um, yeah, look, it's it was a, it was a, I think it was like it was, there's so many merits in, in either one. Like, obviously, Middlesbrough is, is a pretty big club for a second tier club. They're in a good position in terms of pursuing Premier League football. It's a lot of games in the championship every year. Chris Wilder is a good manager. If they're shelling out that sort of money for him, it shows that they're actually, you know, you're not going to spend that, that many million dollars on a bloke if you're not going to play him, right? Yeah. If you're just going to put him on the bench and let him rot. So they have plans for him. The question is, and uh, I'll, I'll plug Stan Sport FC again here because Fozzie made a good point about this yesterday. The flip side of that, of going to Celtic, is is not just the fact that it's Celtic and you're playing in front of 50,000 most weeks. And it's not just the fact that Ange Postacoglu is the manager and therefore you know that you're going to be playing under a guy who will find things in you that you probably didn't think were there. You know, like those are, those are two major things that are important to remember when you think about the Celtic side of this equation. Um, the other one was that he'll be playing in Europe, playing regularly for trophies, and you've got to balance that against what's possible at Borough. Because if, if Borough weren't to get promoted this year, who knows what next season looks like. The championship is a very, very... Um, in terms of what one season looks to the next, it can be it can be you know, changed quite quite a bit. Like Borough might find themselves mid-table next year or, or whatever. And so the risk there is if you don't find a way out of a club like Middlesbrough quickly, you might find yourself stuck there mm. versus a couple of good seasons at Celtic. Clubs are going to come for you all over Europe. So I think it was basically a 50-50 call as far as the information that I can see and know without having had those conversations, as I said. Yeah. I don't think money would have been the only thing because he's so young and so, got so much in front of him. But um, I certainly wouldn't like to have been Riley McGree when I told him to no, because that <laughs> would have been a tough conversation. It would have been. It sounded like a slightly passive-aggressive swing at him that Ange took, like, oh, if they don't want to be here, I'd, it's pointless having the conversation, <laughs> kind of classic grumpy Ange in a press conference stuff. Uh, as a counterpoint to that, how often would McGree have played at Celtic? We don't know what Postacoglu would have promised him was possible, but seeing the form of the Japanese midfielders that uh, have 
been brought in this window in Itaguchi and Hatate apparently started like a house on fire for Celtic. Then there's David Turnbull, who when he comes back from injury would usually start. Tom Rogic, like there's a lot of competition for those midfield spots at Celtic. So I don't know how often Riley McGree would have been playing against them, you know, quality opposition. He looked to be more of a rotation option. Whereas at Middlesbrough, they play with uh, the same formation that, that Birmingham City did that, you know, in limited minutes, Riley McGree so impressed as the sort of third man runner behind two strikers and arriving late in the box. That It seems like he maybe has more opportunity for regular minutes at Middlesbrough than for Celtic where he might have been more of a pinch hitter. Well, yeah, you've reminded me of two more factors, one on each side of the fence. You know, One of them is Middlesbrough is a league that he already plays. You know, so he knows it well. There is no mm. adjustment required there. Like, it's continuity. And the other factor, probably in favour of Middlesbrough, but on the Celtic side of the equation, is you're completely right. I My initial thought was, where does he fit at Celtic? Um, and then um, some of the many uh, Twitter followers I've recently gained from Scotland uh, threw in their two cents and told me that they'd find room for him, that, that Turnbull and Rogic are injured semi-regularly. They play mm. cup games. They play... Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And it is a pretty long season in Scotland too. So they would have, they were arguing that um, he would get his minutes. And, and I think the other thing that you've also got to factor in on both sides of the equation here is at some point as a player, you've got to back yourself too. You've got to say, yeah. okay, if this coach is offering me a starting spot or this coach is offering me an opportunity off the bench or rotation or whatever, then I've got to decide I know I'm good enough. So what they're putting on the table right now is not what they're going to be putting on the table once they've seen you play five, six, seven games, you know. Um, all of this, though, is, is somewhat moot. As I said, that, uh, you know, we don't know those conversations and, and the factors. And look, I'd, I look forward to hearing from Riley at some point in the in the next week or so because I would imagine he too is going to be in that Socceroo squad. And to be honest, um, I'd really think about starting here him or putting him somewhere very, very like as one of the first subs off the bench because I think one of the things that Arnie hasn't been doing in the last few windows is picking players who are high on confidence and high on form. Um, I would have definitely had McGree more involved in that, that Saudi Arabia game because he was coming off a really, really hot spell for Birmingham, the, the, the spell that made, you know, those fans fall in love with him and wanted to wanted to, wanted to sort of kidnap him so that they couldn't fly out to the US and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I just reckon we don't have such a such an embarrassment of riches in the Socceroos where I feel like you just have to pick a player who's playing that well at that moment because you just, you never know that, you know, assuming they fit into your system and what you want them to do on the field, you might just get that extra little boost that you get sometimes from players who are, who are red hot, got that confidence flowing. So McGree, you know, if we're going to talk about fresh faces in the Socceroos coming up, I know he's been involved, but I'd like to see him more more involved, certainly in the next window. Last thing before we let you go, Vince. AFC Champions League draw has been made. Uh, obviously, there are playoffs for Sydney and an as-yet unnamed FFA Cup winning team or you know highest finisher behind Sydney if they win it. Uh, but Melbourne City have been, in my view, gifted with uh, one of the softest draws possible considering they were coming out of pot four. Uh, BG Patham United from Thailand, Jonam Dragons of South Korea and United City of the Philippines, which on paper... Looks like a pretty favourable group, given that Australia's fallen behind Thailand in the coefficient, given that we're going to only have one automatic spot uh, next year and desperately need to climb back up those rankings. How important is it that Melbourne City make the most of this draw? Super important. And especially because Melbourne City feels like a team 
you know, that, that, that could do well in Asia. Like, that, you know, I know this, this season they haven't started as, you know, as well as what many of us expected. I think, you know, COVID going through pretty much the entire squad has got a lot to do with that. But, like, you know, there were times last season when Melbourne City were playing just some really scintillating football and it felt like this is, to me at least, it felt like football that would hold up in Asia. Potentially, it was it was methodical, um, and and it was just uh, it was cutting through A League defenses at will at, at times. And you look at this group, and you think if Melbourne City can bring their best to this group, then there's no reason why they can't finish second, if not top. You know? um, we should be expecting. I mean, United City FC, worst name in world football. But they <laughs> used to be Seros Negros, who obviously beat Brisbane Raw in that infamous number peeling game a few mm. years ago. Um, the Raw should have won that game. So, I mean, City should be expecting to beat United City FC. Tell you what, I would hate to be writing a match report for United City FC versus Melbourne City because which team are you referring to as City? That's a nightmare. Fuck that. I reckon you um, just go then, with UFC. Well, UCF, actually, versus <laughs> CFG. Maybe you just go full acronyms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and look, uh, I can't say I've watched a whole heap of Korean or Thai football in recent times, but I mean... I'm assuming a strong A-League team should be able to compete with strong Thai teams. And um, and we know from history that we can jag ones over uh, over Korean teams from time to time. I, I think City should be really, really excited for it. And I think Australian football fans should be uh, swallowing the instinct that wants them to see City football group teams fail because it is in Australia's best interest, as you said, Josh, that, uh, that City do well here for our coefficient. Well, I'm sure there'll be no victory fans, uh, you know, cheering against City because for the good of Australian football, they need to... No, never going to happen. <laughs> they, they will delight in any uh, shout and fight possible if, if City fail. Uh, Vince, we've got to let you go and wrap the show up, but thank you so much for making the time to join us here on the Oz Football Hour. Pleasure as always, guys. Take it easy. Talk Thanks, to you soon. Vince. Vince Rigari of the Sydney Morning Herald. Go on over to the uh, to his Twitter feed at Vitsugari or uh, head on over to the Sydney Morning Herald website to find his writing. Look, if you're listening to this show, you're probably reading Vince's articles as well. Let's be honest. Jason, we got to go, but thank you so much for joining me and making your FNR debut. It's been uh, great fun, Josh. Looking forward to next week already. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Unbelievable kick. Come on here.